My sermon is entitled, Tutoring a Child, Good Enough? I wanted to call it, Organizing, Setting Up, and Distributing Books to Underprivileged Students. Good Enough? Because that's our upcoming service project for this week. But unfortunately, there wasn't adequate space in the bulletin for that. We could say serving and preparing lunch at the men's shelter, good enough? Or collecting school supplies, is that good enough? Or is it good enough to pack snacks for students who need them? Is it good enough to participate in Room in the Inn, caring for some of our homeless neighbors on a few cold nights during the winter? Perhaps knitting prayer shawls, sewing masks, and pillowcase dresses, and providing warm blankets is good enough. Is traveling to Cuba every year to support our partner church there good enough? Is it good enough to build a tiny house for a victim of sex trafficking? or maybe donating to our monthly mission offering to support local charitable organizations is good enough, or teaching a connection group, or taking care of the nursery, or singing in the choir, or serving on a committee. Are any of these things good enough? I know that even outside of our church's ministries, many of you contribute and participate in other worthy causes. Is that good enough? Good enough for what, you might ask? Well, I'm not thinking about getting you into heaven if that's what you're imagining, because I wouldn't presume to be the judge of that. My question is, as someone who aspires and perhaps claims to be a follower of Jesus, is doing good for others enough? This might seem a strange question coming from your minister of missions, the person who organizes these various opportunities and then recruits you to volunteer for these types of service. Most of my career, has been dedicated to missions in some form or other, trying to do good things for others and especially for those most in need. So yes, I believe it is laudable and immensely important to do good for others. But no, it is not enough. Because if we want to be Jesus followers, we must begin with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Both are essential. Love God and love your neighbor two sides of the same coin, 
two equally balanced poles. But I would argue that loving God needs to come first because it is from this source that truly loving our neighbors will flow. One might argue that there are plenty of people who are not Christian who do charitable work and donate to worthy causes. People of other faiths and people who claim no faith at all, who volunteer with Habitat or at hospice, who serve meals to homeless people, who do all of the good things that we might do and more. Is their contribution and their service any less valuable than ours? No, it's not. Their service is just as valuable as ours. Maybe if you don't have faith in Christ, then doing good works is enough. Maybe it's all that you can do. But if we claim to be followers of Christ, then this balance of loving God and loving our neighbor is imperative. In today's story, Jesus came to Bethany, not far from Jerusalem, where a dinner was given in his honor at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Once Jesus began his ministry, he didn't have a home to call his own, but he did spend some time with these friends at their home. Another meal is recorded to have taken place at their home earlier, where Martha was again busy serving, and Mary apparently sat talking to Jesus and was criticized for it. Today, Jesus' friend Lazarus is at table with them, and we're told that this takes place after Lazarus has been raised from the dead by Jesus. In fact, Mary's exorbitant generosity might be explained by her gratitude to Jesus for bringing her brother Lazarus back. At any rate, she takes about, about a pint of expensive perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. Most likely, this perfume was worth about a year's wages and was the only thing of value that Mary possessed. Quite possibly, it was passed down to her through her family. Mary's lavish act of generosity is an expression of her gratitude and her love for Jesus. And make no mistake, her gesture involved sacrifice. First, she was willing, to some degree, to sacrifice her dignity. Her washing Jesus' feet with her hair foreshadows his washing of the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. We know that Jesus' feet must have been dusty and dirty after walking the countryside in sandals, and that normally it was the task of the lowliest servant to wash the feet 
of guests. To wipe his feet with her hair, Mary would have by necessity unbound her hair. In her culture, once a young girl reached womanhood, she always, always kept her hair bound in public. In gratitude and devotion to Jesus, Mary was willing to sacrifice some of her dignity. The story records the objection of Judas, but I imagine as they watched what was happening, other guests were probably embarrassed or put off by Mary's gesture of letting down her hair, pouring valuable perfume on his feet, and then wiping them with her hair. Reading this story, I wonder, has my obvious devotion to Christ or has any outward expression of my own faith ever caused anyone to feel uncomfortable? I confess probably not. Mary is not thinking of herself or of how what she does will look to others. She doesn't seem to care at all what people will think. Her generous act is totally unself-conscious. In pouring out her expensive jar of perfume, Mary is sacrificing her financial security as well. She very likely owned nothing else of value. I need to pause here and tell you that I almost deleted this part of the sermon because Park Road has always been very generous in terms of financial giving. Even during the pandemic, we have managed to stay on or even ahead of budget. So I feel a little like I'm preaching to the choir, but still, you might find some of these statistics interesting. It is true that in America, we are obsessed with making money, with amassing as much wealth as possible, and with following the ups and downs of the stock market and of our retirement accounts. Meanwhile, in the last 20 years, giving to churches has decreased by 50%. Does that number shock you? It does me. People gave 50% more to churches in the year 2000 than they give today. The average Christian today gives 2.5% of their income to the church. On average, less than $900 a year. During the Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. People gave a larger percentage of their income to the church during the Depression. Interestingly, people who make less than $20,000 a year are eight times more likely to contribute to the church than people who make over $75,000 a year. 
Mary gave everything she had because she knew that ultimately her security was in her relationship with Jesus, not in the value of her assets. Judas objected to what he considered to be Mary's wastefulness, arguing that the money could have been used to feed the poor. And in fact, on what was valued at nearly a year's wages, the money could have fed a lot of people for a long time. Jesus' response is, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Does this statement indicate that Jesus doesn't have concern for the poor? Certainly not. His entire ministry was directed to the outcasts and the common people of the villages and towns where he went. His ministry did not take place in the courts of the king, but among the lepers, the widows, the tax gatherers, and the prostitutes. I think Jesus' words here indicate that Mary was doing what was appropriate for that time and that circumstance. Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, and he was aware of the full significance of that journey. The time he had remaining to be with his followers was short. Our theme during this Lenten season has been temptation. In this story, I think the temptation is to settle for doing something good, feeding the poor, helping your neighbor, and to miss doing what is best, loving God first, focusing on your relationship with Christ, and then reaching out to those in need. The temptation is to think that taking care of our neighbors is good enough when God wants so much more for us. Many of you know that Henry Nouwen, one of the best known and most honored spiritual writers of our time, is one of my heroes in the faith. I first read some of his works while in seminary and then had the privilege of attending a retreat that he led when he taught at Harvard Divinity School and I was a chaplain at the university. I think Nowen, as much as anyone I've ever known, truly lived a deeply spiritual life, combining intimacy with Jesus and solidarity with a wounded world. In one of his earliest and best known works, The Wounded Healer, he wrote, the appearance of Jesus in our midst made it undeniably clear that changing the human heart and changing human society are not separate tasks, but are as interconnected as the two beams of the cross. Jesus remains for men and women of our age the way to liberation and freedom. By the way, speaking of liberation and freedom, when Jesus responded to Judas' objection by saying, leave her alone, literally, let her be, 
it was perhaps the most liberating command he could have spoken. It meant, let Mary be who she is. Nouwen says that true passion for serving others can only come as a gift from God. Otherwise, we may be motivated to do good works by self-doubt, inner restlessness, fear of being alone, a need for recognition, a desire for fame and popularity, a host of other reasons. He believed in the truth of the simple expression, change the world, begin with yourself. He illustrated this truth with a little story found in the tales of the Desert Fathers. There were three friends who were eager workers. One of those chose to devote himself to making peace between people who were fighting in accordance with blessed are the peacemakers. The second chose to visit the sick. The third went off to live in tranquility in the desert. The first toiled away among the human quarrels of men, but could not resolve them all. And so he went to the one who was looking after the sick, and he found him flagging too, not succeeding in fulfilling the commandment. So the two of them agreed to go and visit the one who was living in the desert. They told him of their difficulties and asked him to tell them what he had been able to do. He was silent for a time, then he poured water into a large bowl and said to them, look at the water. It was all turbulent. A little while later, he told them to look at it again and see how the water had settled down. When they looked at it, they saw their own faces as in a mirror. Then he said to them, in the same way, a person who is living in the midst of people does not see his own sins because of all the disturbance. But if he becomes tranquil, then he can see his own shortcomings. Change the world. Begin with yourself. Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet is understood to be related to his impending death. When you anoint a king, you anoint his head. Anointing for burial involves anointing the feet. From Bethany, Jesus will go to Jerusalem and within a week be arrested and crucified. On the evening before his death, Jesus says to his friends, Abide in me, that is, make your home in me, as I make mine in you. Whoever remains in me, with me in him, will bear much fruit. If we are abiding in Christ, making Christ our home, then intimacy with Christ, one of the two crucial poles, becomes a reality. From there, 
solidarity with a wounded world is made possible. May it be so.